Good morning, Rose City. Welcome to another exciting episode of A Radio Geekly. I'm Just Jess, and I'm joined in the studio by some of my collective members. I've got Jenna, I've got David, and Becky. Good morning to you all. Morning. Good morning. Howdy. Happy fall. I think it's officially fall when you see leaves on the ground. Oh, yes, yeah. True. But There's it is one. unusually warm. Yes. The but. sun is out. Yeah, I just I right, but I don't know. I'm only I'm only been a Portlander for four years, and so I'm not sure if this is unusually warm. But I feel like it like fall feeling like it's cold, but it's not as cold as I want it to be. Yeah, I yeah. I well, mean, the doldrums are coming. That that that's January, February. That's true. Yeah. Okay, so I need to not be like, why isn't it cold? Because then yeah. nature's gonna be like, okay, yeah, yeah, it all kind go. of like melts yeah. together. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. Are you ready for it now? Right. Here it comes. <laughs> oh no. Oh man. Well. Speaking of fall and all things autumn, it's time to buckle down and get cozy and talk a little bit about our topic for today. Um, We want to give honor and celebration to some of our fellow geeks in the collective, in particular our indigenous geeks out there. Yeah. And celebrate the diversity that we have within our collective And this month, the month of November, is, I believe, what's called the Native American Heritage Month, or also known as Indigenous Peoples Month. And so we wanted to highlight some Indigenous geeks, get a little bit of their insight as to what they do in the realm of geekdom and all fun things like that. So before we dive too far in, we wanted to give you just a little bit of info and background about the actual um, Native Heritage Month itself. Um, from what I have researched, and I am not an expert by any means, it was actually officially declared National American Heritage Month, National American, North American Indian Heritage Month, that's really long to say, um, under the George H.W. Bush campaign. Um, but it has been around for a very, very long time, but it wasn't made official until probably the 90s, which is really unfortunate. Um, because we do um, value and give a lot of um, appreciation to the indigenous peoples here in America. Um, And then there's also the National Congress of American Indians wants to highlight November as the Native American Heritage Month um, to celebrate rich and cultural cultural traditions and histories, acknowledging the importance of the contributions of the Native peoples. Um, And so with that, we want to highlight some of our Indigenous geek friends here on the show. Um, But first, I wanted to ask everyone um, the importance of diversity within geek culture. I know we always like to talk about um, the awareness of cultural appropriation, uh, whether or not it is appropriate, (laughs) and uh, things like that. So I wanted to just get a little bit of insight before we um, speak to some of our Indigenous geeks directly um, about your feelings and stuff, how uh, geek culture has been diverse, how it could improve, um, and things like that. Wow. (laughs) I know it's a heavy question. (laughs) No, it's like, that could be a whole show. In of itself. Yeah. I guess my feeling, um, this is Jenna, just over the last, say, like 10 years, when I like go to cons now, I think it is a more diverse crowd. 
mm-hmm. for sure. I see um, like way more POC, especially in the cosplay arena that used to be really white dominated mm-hmm. before. And now I'm seeing some really awesome cosplays that are just unapologetic and just like really showcase like how many POC geeks there are. Mm-hmm. But definitely, you know, like most things, it's it's slow right. in the change and it's painful in the change. And we're, you know, like when I go to cons now, I don't see as many people like in fake kimonos. People have sort of gotten past that. And now they're like, oh, let's just be like characters instead of mm-hmm. making caricatures of culture. Mm-hmm. However, trying to explain to a lot of geeks that like why Ghost in the Shell with like Scarlett Johansson and stuff is like not <laughs> cool. Yeah. Is is still very much like an argument as opposed to just people understanding like, oh, that's disrespectful. That's culturally appropriate. It's still something that's quote unquote controversial. Mm -hmm. And I find that frustrating in terms of diversity, but I see that there's also more pushback coming from other people who are like quote unquote allies, you know, Mm -hmm. and are just like, no, let's all just not watch Ghost in the Shell with Scarlett Johansson because there's already good versions of it. Right. Right. You know, the original version. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I, I think it, I think it highlights like the change in diversity and what is happening in geek culture. It, it signifies a breaking between like mainstream and more um, indie, more mm. like community centered efforts because the mainstream is still chugging along that misappropriation oh, yeah. right. train, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to communities coming together and and actually giving space for people to have a voice and to be able to express themselves and to not make gross caricatures of culture that that's coming along but you're right like it's been a pretty recent change comparatively Mm -hmm. because cons have been around for decades and decades and decades Mm -hmm. and only recently have we seen people be able to have the like the 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 language even to talk about it and to confront issues of Mm -hmm. oppression in that way Mm -hmm. yeah do you see any sort of um uphill as to like even more improvement within you know the last decade or do you think we've kind of hit like a standstill like all right we're we're making we're making awareness (laughs) i feel like right now we're actually in a phase like where we had kind of plateaued for a little bit like a few years ago i want to say maybe like six seven years ago things kind of like plateaued Mm -hmm. and people because that's like when cons were first getting like really commercialized right and people are like okay and so there was just like all these people throwing in money and whatever art they wanted. Um, And then I think right now we're seeing the pushback from that of the wild west of like cons where Mm -hmm. there's a lot more like POC artists who are like independently publishing Mm. and there's more room for that. And so even though the gross cringy things definitely when I go to cons are still there. Girl from Pillows. But at least like when you see that, then you also see, oh, wow, here's more comics that are being made by POC. Mm-hmm. and like that sort of stuff and so there's things to kind of counterbalance that but I don't know if it really makes it feel balanced for me but yeah. it's nice to see that like at least there's other voices that are coming through because of the indie labels that hmm. are out there hmm. mm-hmm. and I know also with like the internet and stuff too there's given kind of more of an open door mm-hmm. policy in a way of like you have more freedom to post and write and you know blog all of that you want to because you know the internet is still so open source well, the, you, even like, if you like look 
sort of like at um, just like mainstream comics even, like going outside of indie comics, like mainstream comics are, are starting to embrace this idea too. Like in the Asian American realm, I always think of Hulk, you know, that was like a huge mainstream change that was being supported by like this mainstream publisher that was amazing, you know. So it, these are like little changes and you saw a lot of pushback happen from that, but now it's become like normalized. Mm-hmm. And so it's more embraced like, oh, yeah, let's just change the identity of these people and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And well, analysis yeah. and criticism has increased yeah. because we have this communication venue. It, it it's it's incredibly valuable that we have the internet to be able to point out when things are, are problematic and cringy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think one of the issues mm-hmm. Yeah, you're okay. on. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean I think one of the one of the things when it comes to uh just like this culture with geekdom and everything is we we're, we're kind of we, we latch on to superheroes that go way back and they came about in a time when it wasn't diverse mm-hmm. so now when we have you know remakes of movies and stuff being continually churning out we have the geeks who do what they do which is how dare you make that person who has always been white when he was created blah 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 years ago how dare you try to change it and make it more diverse that's just not right so this is kind of an odd thing so it seems like what I would like to see is, it's just, you know, we have so many more uh, stories and, and things that, that just make the depth in the world so much greater. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't need to keep revisiting the same stuff. Wait, don't you want a 20th iteration of Batman and Spider-Man all I, within I mean, the same oh, year? Oh, my God, <laughs> yes. But, you know. I, That's the uphill battle, perhaps, is like there are all these, you know, folks that are refusing yeah. to take a look at diversity, that they're refusing to take a look at how, you know, cliche and, you know, boring that archetypical stories like the superhero story is. Like, yeah. as, as a tool, it is valuable, and I'm not saying that that should go away forever, but, you know, us only following the mainstream line in that way and continuing to write stories that are the same thing that has been put onto paper and film for centuries, mm-hmm. um, that that's part of the analysis. And people do blow back against that because mm-hmm. they don't want change. And diversity is change. Yeah. And that's the change we should see. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Exactly. Hopefully. I think we I think we're doing our part at least I hope so in our collective to embrace that diversity and bring awareness to uh, folks that are doing awesome things within geekdom that some of us might not know about um, and speaking of which I want to bring into the conversation um, an indigenous geek she is one of the co-hosts of the tribe called geek podcast yes. I want to say good morning to Johnny J good morning Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How's it going today? Um, pretty good. Good. Uh, I wanted to thank you first for giving us a call, and uh, why don't you take a couple minutes to explain a little bit about your uh, Tribe Called Geek podcast that you have with our fellow collective member, Jack. Uh, definitely. Um, well, we started a Tribe Called Geek um, back in 2014, actually, it started out as a social media network. Um, people could sign up, have like their own forums, their blogs, just for a place for natives to be able to talk geek. Um, and then it got a little too expensive. And so it kind of went on the back burner. Um, and then I met Jack. <laughs> and um, we were, I was doing a podcast. She was doing her radio show, and we kept guesting back and forth, just like constantly like, come on my show. Let's talk about this. 
come on my show. <laughs> and uh, we start, and afterwards, we would talk about geek stuff for hours. And then finally, she was like, you know, we should do something together. And we were like, yeah. And so we were like, let's talk geek. And so when we were trying to come up with a name, um, you know, I mentioned that, well, I already have the domain for a tribe called Geek, and we have, like, the social media accounts already set up. Nice. And I said, would that be okay to use? And she's like, yeah, definitely. And we talked about it for a long time, and then we were thinking about, like, well, we need an intro. And Jack is amazing because we are kind of making fun of um, Adventure Time. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And and we were just kind of like making up little um, little things that would possibly use for an intro. And Jack was like, "Give me a few minutes." And I was like, "Okay." And she came back to me about an hour and a half later, and she's like, "Listen to this." And she had busted out her hand drum and put together a whole little theme song for us. That is so rad. We all will be hearing that intro in just a couple minutes, but I wanted to bring Jack on the line, too. Good morning, Jack. How's it going? Howdy, howdy. Going good. Hey, Jack. So you've got some mad drumming skills, Johnny says. Yes, yes, I do. (laughs) Talk a little bit about your um, involvement with A Tribe Called Geek and how you and Johnny um, came to want to keep going not only from a podcast but now you guys have this website with a lot of open events and things that are connected and you're going to be going to indigenous comic-con like how did that all progress from just your brief conversations of wanting to talk geek well you know the more we talked about it the more we were also curious who else was having these conversations and um you know i was aware of of lee uh, from INC at the time, Indigenous Narratives, Indigenous Narratives Collective, and I had interviewed John Proudstar and Jay Ojik, like some of these other um, Indigenous, and so we were just kind of putting the feelers out there for, you know, what other uh, Native community we can gather around to have these conversations, and um, it kind of snowballed from there because we realized there weren't really a lot of people having, a lot of Native people having these conversations or even being invited to the table for these conversations. Um, you know, we were aware of Métis in Space who, you know, were, I don't want to say pioneers because it's the wrong wording, but they really were um, a force to be reckoned with. You know, two amazing Indigenous women who are critiquing sci-fi and critiquing nerd um, very well-known nerd shows and movies on the representation of indigenous peoples, which is just like fantastic. And I'm such a, I, I still like freak out anytime I talk to them, like it's, it's bad. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we just, you know, our, our culture is all about community. So we went, you know, forward trying to build community in that way. And then it started to snowball and like, oh, this doesn't exist yet let's see if we can help like get something going there oh this isn't a thing well i guess we can we can sort of dabble in that as well and then just more and more things started to happen and um with indigenous comic-con it was like why why not like why don't we and lee you know lee was really like the driving force for that and we were more than happy to you know be there and assist in any way we could and um the first year for indigenous comic-con was amazing like we were really nervous and uh, we, I don't, I mean, I can't even remember who sold out, but it was huge. It was way bigger than we thought it would be. And oh, yeah. this year, you know, this year, like, you know, it's probably going to double or triple in size. I mean, we're in a bigger venue now. And um, we're, we're, you know, we're starting to get get our rhythm going and, like, understand, okay, this is what we learned from the first one. So this next year is going to be more, you know, fantastic. And uh, the 
the Native community at large, I think, has really responded positively to this. And it's really great to know that, you know, comic books, for anybody, right, comic books, nerd culture has always been, like, such a support system for people who feel like they're on the outskirts of, you know, mainstream society or feel like they're outcasts. And, you know, if you're living on a res in the middle of, like, nowhere and you don't really have anything to connect with and you have these comic books, you have these characters, not only do you have that, but now there are more people putting out stuff where it's people who look like you, people who are from your own culture, your tribe, mm-hmm. even. So you're not even, um, you're, you're, you have people who look like you and who are from a similar culture to you that you can actually look up to and have more role models. So our overall goal really is to help uplift those people who are creating this media for, you know, for our youth and for our people because we really need that right now. We need those heroes in our lives. Yeah, very well said. And speaking of uplifting, I wanted to play a segment from one of your podcasts that you both spoke with Megan Redshirt Shaw. She runs the organization Natives in America. Um, Johnny, why don't you give a little intro um, just briefly about your connection with her and what she is doing? Oh, Megan Richardshaw is amazing. Um, she just gave a speech as she graduated from Harvard, um, and it went viral. Her speech went viral, and it was so powerful. And we were very lucky to meet Megan Shaw beforehand. Um, I, I work with Native Max Magazine as well, and so I was familiar with her work and just w- her wanting to include Native voices and the voices of our Native youth, and she was a fan of ours. And so we invited her onto the show to discuss what she was doing because, you know, like Jack said, our whole goal is to uplift the voices of Native people who are doing great things within our communities um, who are contributing so much needed work and, you know, creating these platforms for Native voices. And so we invited her on the show, and it was such an amazing conversation. Um, and we're all indigenous, so, you know, we all just kind of understand each other um, without even really having to, um, say anything like we just connect on that basic nerd level um, so we had her on the show and it was such a wonderful show awesome so we're going to play a segment from that podcast featuring Jack's amazing drumming skills see if you can channel your inner adventure time when you listen to this dear listeners so we'll hear that right now it's Indian time come on grab your friends We'll be late, but the fun never ends. With Jack the Pima and the Brown Ball of Fury, we'll talk about nerdy stuff. It's a tribe called Geek. You're listening to A Tribe Called Geek. Indigenerdity for the geek at the powwow in the Star Wars t-shirt. I'm Jack the Pima, and joining me is the Brown Ball of Fury, Johnny J. Johnny, how are you? Well, I'm doing pretty good today and excited again for today's show because we have a great guest for everybody. Um, we're going to be talking to Megan Redshirt Shaw of Natives in America. And Megan, could you tell us a little about yourself, please? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm really excited um, to be able to talk to you guys. Um, I'll go ahead and introduce myself. Um, first, I'm Lakota. Michajiki um, Megan Redshirt Shaw, Michajiki Chanko Washtenwi, Pine Ridge Reservation, Himakiapa, Malakota. Um, my name is Megan Redshirt Shaw, and I'm a Gwala Lakota and enrolled member um, from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Um, I currently work in education, focused on undergraduate admissions, and I also work on a Native American youth collaborative called Natives in America. And um, really excited to be on the show today to talk to you guys a little bit more about what we are working on currently. 
Awesome. And, you know, with Natives in America, you know, this is such a great effort to include the voices of our Native youth. Um, And you're looking at doing a leadership summit. Could you tell us how that came about? Absolutely. Um, You know, I think that for us and sort of what it is that we are hoping to accomplish in the upcoming years, um, really the, the collaborative launched a year ago this January. And initially sort of the thought had been to be able to establish a platform for educated Native youth to be able to talk about their experiences as young people, as college students, as high school students. And then really in my own work, um, working in undergraduate admissions, I started sort of thinking about how important Native communities are on the other end of the college experience. So once these students are getting accepted into exceptional schools, exceptional colleges, do they have a community um, that's going to be greeting them once they actually get onto campus? And so in sort of developing this leadership institute, in being able to bring these really phenomenal writers, leaders together, um, I really hope that it will give us an opportunity to kind of sit down and talk a little bit more about what it takes to be a successful Native student in college. Um, that's really sort of at the forefront of what I feel very passionately about. And these are all students that other Native students should be looking at as role models, as examples of um, people who have overcome a lot maybe to get to where they are. So um, the Leadership Summit is really an opportunity for all of our writers to come together. A lot of them know each other through different uh, leadership organizations that they're already a part of, but a lot of them don't, um, haven't had the opportunity to actually be in the room, maybe even with that many Native students before. So um, we really want it to be able to grow into something that's annual or biannual. But um, for now, we're just trying to sort of figure out how we can make this year's event happen. So um, we're really excited, really excited about it. So what is one of the most important things that through this leadership summit that you really want to leave your kids with? I think that for all of them in their own right, they feel empowered to have a voice. Um, And I think that there is something really positive about the energy of bringing together a group of successful people into one room. And I think that as we move forward into the seventh generation growing up and becoming leaders, these are going to be the decision makers. These are going to be the people that lead tribal councils, that are tribal presidents, that go on and are professors in universities or businessmen, businesswomen, running successful companies. Why not start the networking now for them? Um, because later on in their time, they may want to partner with another tribe that's not their own to work on land development, or they may want to run for council and somebody else may have that experience down the road um, when they're having these conversations. So I think for me, it's really that piece of networking. The other side of it is that all of our writers have had very different experiences. Some have grown up on the reservation. Some consider themselves urban Indians. Some consider themselves even farther removed than that. And I think it's important in these types of programs to be able to bring all of those perspectives together because that's really the beauty of what it means to be Native today is that exactly as you said, in terms of success, there is no one um, definition of what being Indigenous in, in the United States means. And so I think that just being able to get all of that energy into one room is going to be really powerful. And I, I really, you know, I think that for 
um, the mentors and mentees that I work with, my own mother, my father, um, my siblings, the people that I've been very connected to in the Native world. Um, really, the conversations that we have are that, yes, we want there to sort of be a set idea of what it is that we're going to be talking about, but I also want whatever the program ends up being to happen organically and to have been able to take its course. Um, but I think it's really just being able to get all of our voices in the same room and see each other face to face and be able to network and brainstorm. That's really what we're hoping to accomplish through, through the summit. And are you, they're really killing it right now. Um, you know, yeah. when you look at the things that are going on within Indian country, so many of them are being led by our native youth. And I think, you know, that's a, such a great idea to bring them all together because look at what they've done so far whenever we've put them in the same room whether it was at the tribal um the white house tribal youth gathering or whether it's through programs like unity and even within natives in america you know it really does give them that support system you were talking about Mm -hmm. and it also gives empowers them and gives them the knowledge that hey you know what we're important where you know we have worth we have something to offer to this world and that's not a message that we often get as native people um from the media you know from the outside world of our communities you know that's not a message right. that we get so you know i think it's really hard you know like especially when you talk about going to college you know for many of us you know we grow up in these very um insulated communities where we're used to our people. We're used to having that community support. Even if you're urban natives, you know, there's usually um, like urban native community centers or there's a community of natives there that you're familiar with, that you have this safe space. But once you start going to college, once you start going out into the workforce, you know, we lose that in a lot of ways. And, you know, we have a lot of kids who go to college who don't make it past that first semester Mm -hmm. just because it's a culture shock. So I think it's really wonderful that we give these kids, you know, every opportunity to find each other and to support each other and to really build themselves up because, you know, they they are so important to our future. I think it's really cool to see kind of the different ideas that Native youth have come up with, too. Even within our team, um, we have writers, but we also have hip-hop artists, and we have fashion designers and uh, athletes and people that are just doing these things that more Native youth need to be aware of. Because I think, as you had mentioned before, you know, in certain communities, um, there sort of is this trajectory of what success means. And what I'm seeing with Natives in America and with the writers that we continue to sort of bring onto the team is that there's so many different things that Native youth can be passionate about and achieve and be really successful at. Um, And I think that we need to, beyond culture and language and revitalizing community, we also have to sort of catch up, right, to what this generation is excited about. Um, The artist movements that are happening, how the internet plays a role in their day-to-day. Even 10 years ago, you know, students that were in high school, they're experiencing something very different than high school students today. Um, They're constantly exposed to each other. They're constantly in contact with each other. They know each other's every move. Um, So as we continue to grow as nations and in nation building, we have to also be able to catch up with what's going on with our youth. Um, And I think that that's one of the things that we feel really proudly about in Natives in America is that we can all be connected to each other 
and not have to be, you know, on the same reservation or in the same city um, because of the internet and because of activism through the internet. So um, it's been really neat to see sort of what it is that they as individuals continue to come up with um, and that they're excited about. That that pumps me up. And I think that it should, the part of the reason why we make it such a public platform is because we want other Native youth to be able to see what they're doing, uh, their role models. Um, they're the people they should be looking up to, as I said before. So you're right. It's really exciting. And um, I think we should be encouraging them as much as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know what's so great, too? You mentioned the Internet. And I think it's so great that with the Internet, you know, we're able to show them that you can do so many different things. Like, um, you know, whether it's being a hip hop artist, whether it's being a poet, whether it's being a fashion designer, whether it's being, you know, two nerds that do a radio show. Um <laughs> You know, we have so many opportunities available to us, and we often don't know that um, because, you know, again, we are very um, limited, usually growing up in the worldview perspectives. (laughs) You know, we only get our community's perspective. Um, But with the Internet, you know, we're exposed to so much more. And, you know, I think it's a great way for us to show that you can be a successful artist. You can be a successful hip hop hip hop hip-hop artist Um, but I mean look at Frank Juan he's like traveling the world right now and exposing so many cultures to our culture and to our perspectives in a way that resonates with them you know that transcends language that transcends you know their worldviews I mean music is such a great tool poetry is such a great tool art you know it's so healing for natives and it's such a great way for us to convey to others who we are as native people Um, on a very human and, you know, beyond just that cultural level, but on that human level that, you know, this is who we are as people and this is what's important to us. This is what, you know, we value. And I think that's so important. And I think it's so important for our youth to be exposed to this and to know that there is a community that is there and ready to support them in whatever endeavor they choose to pursue. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, just being able to experience other people's success, too, um, because as as we know, as indigenous people or that were raised with parents that are very traditional, um, it's about community and it's about giving back. Um, and even today, I I was on our we have like a Facebook, um, a Facebook group for all the natives in America writers and um you know, Joey Montoya, who, who is a designer and owns a company called Urban Native Era, you know, sent out that um, there was a special code for all of the Natives in America writers to be able to buy his clothing. And, you know, a bunch of different writers were writing underneath it, like Aaliyah and saying, um, you know, we're so excited. We want to purchase this. And where can I sign up? And just this idea that they are encouraging each other to to accomplish their dreams. Um because even throughout that success, I think that all of us experience exactly as you described before, like that lonely feeling. Um, and I feel it, you know, sometimes when I'm out in the workforce or um, when I'm driving in traffic in the Bay Area, um, sort of that feeling of I might be the only indigenous person sitting sitting on this interstate. Right. Or um, I'm the only indigenous college student on my college campus. Um, and so really being able to through the leadership that you success uh, that you celebrate about yourself, also being able to celebrate and acknowledge other people's success. Um, and I think that's a really big part of who we are as Indigenous people. And I see that lost. Um, 
a lot of times I, I see that kind of lost within uh, different communities. And I think that we need to get back to that, that idea of it's not just about yourself. Um, it's about elders and youth and about other people around you that are doing incredible things. So this team, uh, I feel really lucky to work with the, the Native youth that have joined on uh, NIA, and I'm really proud of them. I'm really, really proud of them. So um, it's exciting. It's an exciting time. Community building is what we're all about here. If you're just tuning in, this is a Radio Geekly. We just heard a piece from the A Tribe Called Geek podcast featuring Megan Redshirt Shaw, who um, organizes the organization. Gosh, I need a better adjective for that. <laughs> Natives in America. And I have Johnny and Jack on the line. Um, so that was a really impactful uh, just segment. I know they're, your podcasts are usually like an hour long, but I found it really fascinating how you guys strive to bring awareness to what indigenous peoples are doing um, within, you know, the arts industry, within the comic book industry, within music. Um, so do you guys find motivations after speaking with these people um, to want to do some more things like creatively on your side? Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, because for us, we're geeks. Um, we create, um, you know, not just platforms, but like Jack, she does amazing beadwork. Um, and for myself, I'm also a graphic artist. Um, and I do a lot of graphic design. And, you know, I'm even actually working on my own comic book now. Um, so it does encourage you to do more and to just talking with people. It lets you know that you can do more, that you're not just stuck in a box, that, you know, we always have the ability to learn, that we have the ability to get better at whatever we're trying to do because, you know, a lot of people think about art and maybe you can't draw that well, but you love to draw. And a lot of people think that art has to be perfect, that it has to be um, something that is viewed as great. But art, just the act of creating is healing. Just the act of creating, um, if it gives you joy, you know, that's all that matters. Because that is your art. That is you giving a piece of yourself and showing the world who you are and what's important to you. Um, so it doesn't matter if it, you know, what other people would deem as good. As long as you're doing it, as long as it makes you feel something and it conveys who you are, then that's all that should matter. Mm-hmm. And it's not just in art, but it's, you know, in music, it's in writing, it's in, you know, doing our beadwork. Because our beadwork and our Native craft, they tell a story of who we are as Native people. And so it does, it does encourage you to do more and to think outside of the box a little bit more about not just what you can do, but what is possible if you think bigger. Um, Because we've been in survival mode for so long as Native people. And the tools that you learn when you're surviving, they do not serve you when you're trying to thrive. It's a whole different set of rules, a whole different mindset that you have to have to thrive because you can no longer just do what you need to to get through from day to day you have to think bigger you have to take risks and you have to do that in order to thrive and for natives we've been so caught up in a circle of survival that you know for the most part our default mode is just to make it from day to day and so now we're in this position where we're seeing people creating art where we're seeing our geeks where we're seeing our hip-hop artists, where we're seeing our Native people achieve such great things, whether it's in art, whether it's in the entertainment industry, or whether it's becoming a federal judge. 
you know, we have our people who are doing amazing things, and that's because we're finally at that point where we're starting to step out of survival mode and starting to think about thriving as Indigenous people. That's awesome. Jack, did you want to add anything? No, I mean, she pretty much covered it, and uh, part of it also is, though, is that we're getting to meet these amazing people who are inspiring us to continue, but also inspiring us to partner with them. I mean, again, that's how our mm-hmm. relationship with Lee got started, was we were just talking to him about the comics that he was making, and then we, you know, got to talking more and decided, hey, let's partner up, let's do something together, let's work together, and it's so powerful to be able to connect um all these people and, and to, uh, you know, meet like-minded folks who are doing amazing things and being able to to be a part of that um, that journey and inspiring each other and uplifting each other, just like what Megan was saying in the, in the interview as well. Just, you know, some people make clothing, some people make comics, some people make movies. You know, we do podcasts, but we can all support each other through our various skill levels and, um, and what we do, and it's just really, really great to see that. Yeah, that's awesome. And with a kind of a unity and community building, um, next weekend is going to be Indigenous Comic Con over in Albuquerque, and both of you are going to be speaking at some panels. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about what people can expect when they get to Indigenous Comic Con? A lot of fun and a lot of laughter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I might see through it after we left the last Indigenous Con. (laughs) Um, just from smiling so much. Um, you know, Indigenous Comic Con this year is, you know, like Jack said, it's going to be a lot bigger than it was last year. And last year was huge. Yeah. Um, but as far as panels go, we have some amazing panels this year. Um, Jack is going to be doing Podcasting 101, which she's going to be working with Native America Calling, which is one of our hugest Native radio networks. Um, and I think that's absolutely amazing. I'm excited for that because so many people want to get into podcasting, and it's such a great way for Natives to communicate and talk about the issues that we face. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also going to be having a lot of panels that discuss cultural appropriation. Um, how do you avoid that in geek culture? Um, what is a cult- cultural appropriation? What harm does it really cause? Um, we also have panels that talk about comics and games and on the university level. Um we have comics in classrooms. We have old stories in new ways. And we also have a panel that's going to be talking about indigenous horror shows. Um, and then, of course, me and Jack do um, Surviving the Zombie Apocalypse Red Style. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I saw that. Nice. And so, you know, I mean, these are great things. And we're also going to be uh, talking about um, native sci-fi and indigenous futurisms, which is something that is really important right now because for us, um, as natives, when you think about time, when you think about history, um, for us, we always take into account our past, our present, and the future, and the way that it all connects together, and the part that it plays, you know, as we move forward as people. So imagining what indigenous futurisms look like, what do natives look like in the future, what do we hope for, um, and what is native sci-fi? How, how is that different um, than traditional sci-fi? But we have some great panels um, this year, and I'm looking forward to it. And I'm sad that there's some that we're going to have to miss because, you know, we're going to have to be on our own panels. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the biggest things that I'm excited for this year is that um, there's also going to be a robot demonstration. Mm -hmm. Um, Hi. The robotic team is going to be there to demonstrate their robots and to talk about um, Native folks 
in the future in in, in robotics, um, but we also are going to have like a maker station. So um, we bring weapons to show in our zombie apocalypse speech. And so this year, um, the youth are going to be able to go to the maker station and make little mini replicas of some of those weapons. That's awesome. <laughs> so I wanted to um, ask a little about the futurism piece. I am not super familiar with indigenous futurism, and so I would love to hear a little bit more about what that is. Ah, well, you know, sci-fi, um, and when you look at sci-fi, a lot of the themes have to deal with colonization. Um, and it's a lot about conquering. It's the same way that, you know, natives have experienced this. It's going to exploring these new planets and how do we take over? How do we survive in these new environments? Mm -hmm. For indigenous people, um, our survival is different. The way that we look at the future is different because we have a strong connection to like the land, the water, to our traditions and who we are, our languages. So when we're looking at the future, we're, we're not looking to conquer. We're not even imagining what would it be like if we went to a new world. Um, we're looking at if we travel to a new world, how will we survive there? How will we carry on our traditions? What part will our language play in this new world? Um, how can we coexist in harmony with this new world and the people that we may encounter there? It's not about conquering. It's not um, about destroying what is there. But it's like how do we place our there without being an, almost like an invasive species? Hmm. How do we coexist there? And it's also talking about who are we going to be as Native people in the future? Um, what part of our culture, what is important to us? Um, what are we going to be able to carry through um, through millennium? And how is that going to change? You know, is our language going to evolve? Are our traditions going to evolve? When we get, if we go to new worlds, how will our cultural traditions have to evolve to exist and still make sense for us in that new space? Um, and with, in, in, you know, in, in connection to a land that is not our own. Mm -hmm. And it's also recognizing the past, the present, the future, all simultaneously because it, you know, it all plays a part. Um, and it's very interesting um, because it's something that, you know, like I, I love to read and I love sci-fi. I grew up with Star Wars and Star Trek and you see them exploring these new worlds. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, like with Star Trek, they're basically just supposed to be there to observe and to um, talk about what's going on in these new worlds. And they end up getting involved in um, conflict. Mm -hmm. And with indigenous futurism, it's the same thing. What conflicts are we going to be involved in in exploring alien worlds? Um, and how, what is going to be our part in that new world? How are we going to be able to preserve who we are? How are we going to be able to um, even explain our existence in this new world to people who may already be there or to life forms that are there? Um, and it's, not some, it's, it's a whole different world. Um, and it's even imagining, um, reimagining worlds, um, reimagining those sci-fi stories. It's reimagining even now, like our contemporary times, um, it's imagining what would life for natives be like if colonization never happened. Yes. If all of these atrocities that we um, went through, what where would we be as native people if they never existed? And I love being asked that because when we're talking colonization, people are like, "Oh, but if you we didn't come here and we didn't colonize you, you would still be primitive." But oh, native. <laughs> <Ooh>. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's cool. 
Yeah, but we were never primitive. We had um, star maps. We had advanced trade routes. We had sciences. We had mathematics. And, you know, when people ask me, if colonization never happened, what would it look like for Native communities? And I have a picture from um, Comanche Nation Fair, which kind of summarizes this whole question so perfectly. Because at Comanche Nation Fair, there is a section where they have teepees set up. Mm-hmm. And in between those teepees, the people who own those teepees and stay in those teepees park their cars. <laughs> oh, wow. So you have teepees and their cars parked right next door. And I took a picture of this because that illustrates so well of what an indigenous future without colonization would look like because we wouldn't have stayed stagnant. Native people were always evolving. Our languages were evolving. Our technology was evolving. Our sciences were evolving. So as the world moved forward, we would have done so as well, but it would have looked very differently for us because of the values that we held as Native people. Mm -hmm. And, of course, if we weren't, you know, like 90-something percent of our population wasn't wiped out, there would be, you know, the United States um, would look very different right now. And the government would look very different because we are our own sovereign nation. So this entire world would look different. Mm -hmm. But it would be the same thing. Like we may have our traditional housing and we may have a car parked right in between, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) it it seems that that, um, the the idea that there would be a juxtaposition and that people would, you know, couch the question of what Indigenous people and their culture would look like had they not been colonized follows that mainstream narrative still in that way you know it it it, it couches people with like an incredible diversity of cultures and experiences and being you know forever sort of like negated it seems and then like you know there's no way that you know as a people you would have advanced beyond the primitive because that's what the mainstream culture is saying and and that's a difficult position to be in it, it sounds also that um you within futurism and taking a look at how people are um you know t- um talking about what the 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 past could be and what the future could be had these conditions not existed you're looking at issues of post-apocalyptic you know like how to deal with you know, the end of the world as an indigenous person, which I think is amazing. And I'd like to hear more about that too, because sci-fi is often kind of hand in hand with the idea of post-apocalyptic, you know, worlds, you know, we've destroyed this one, then we move on. So how do you deal with attention in that? Well, that's why we kind of have the zombie apocalypse um, panel, because that's mm-hmm. what it deals with. It's, um, as Native people, we've already survived an apocalypse. We've already mm-hmm. seen the end of our world, mm-hmm. and we've already had to rebuild, and we've had to revive, restore, and reclaim what was lost during that. And so it's very easy for us to discuss, you know, what life would be post-apocalyptic, because we've already been there. Mm-hmm. And so now it's talking about, okay, well, if this happened again, and it wasn't just affecting Native people. If it was affecting the entire world, how would we do that? Well, if you look at how Native people continue to survive right now, we create miracles, mm-hmm. and we sustain ourselves from very little to nothing. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of our communities are very rural. So if an apocalypse was going to happen, you know, Native communities would be the first people that you would want to look to because we still know how to exist off the land. We know how to exist without technology. We know how to communicate without technology. And we also know the importance of, you know, like when we're picking sage, 
you never take the whole plant. You mm-hmm. only take what you need. You make sure that, you know, there is still enough there that when the next harvest comes that it will continue to grow rather mm-hmm. than over-harvesting everything. Um, so it's about balance. And that's what Native communities still do. That's why we fight so hard to protect our land, to protect the water, to protect um, our resources, because we know that they're very limited. They're not always going to be there, so we need to take care of it now because that is what's going to sustain not just our Native communities but humanity in general because what happens when all the water is polluted? Mm -hmm. What are we going to drink? Water is life. There's a reason, you know, people say many Wachoni, mm-hmm. water is life, because without water, we cannot survive. Without food, we cannot survive. Um, so it's very easy for us to relate our experience as Native people to post-apocalyptic situations, because we've already been there, we've already survived, and, you know, like I mentioned before, we're already coming back to that position where we're starting to thrive in spite of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And, and, and substance and, you know, being able to continue living in this way rather than scavenging and rather than, you know, like the mainstream narrative of, of like overall violence in post-apocalyptic literature and, and representation is, you know, it, it is different. And the indigenous voice and like how, you know, you in answering that question, like, are able to, you know, take what is one of those archetypical stories and turn it around to something that, like, it, it totally makes sense. is is amazing. I really appreciate that viewpoint, and I am looking to you. <laughs> Should it all go down? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and you know, one of the great things about that too is when you look at Native communities and how we survive. We did it as a community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you look at a lot of of like, say, The Walking Dead, you have these groups of people, of survival, um, of survivalists who are trying to figure out, okay, how do we survive here? They're up against all these odds. They have, you know, little to nothing, no food, no water. And most of the time you see them coming against groups that are looking out for themselves. Mm-hmm. And they want to take, they want to conquer still after all of this. That, yeah. that is their goal, to take, to conquer, to kill. Um, Endless and to look out for themselves. Mm-hmm. But you have these groups who are very much like natives that want to create a community, who want to be self-sustaining, who want to rebuild the world that was lost and do it better. And you have them coming against that. And it's very similar to our story as Native people because even as we've survived and we're in that rebuilding, we're still um, facing you know, these forces that want to take, that want to conquer, that want to destroy and you know, they don't have no regards for, you know, our livelihoods as Native people. We're still up against those same forces. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a really great way to have these discussions about, you know, colonialism. It's, it's a way to talk about survival, about, you know, how we need to be better. Like, we have a moral obligation to be better than the generations before us. Um, and it's a good way to talk about that, to t- put it in the context of talking about surviving a zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people re- know, you know, they know the story of zombies. <laughs> right. Um, Archetypical. Familiar. <laughs> yeah. And you can talk about it with, without coming off as to being too preachy or too obvious in talking about the evils of colonialism. And you can do so without it seeming like you're mm-hmm. vilifying all non-Native people. Yeah. And so that panel is going to be on Saturday, November 11th at Indigenous Comic Con, which is down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So if you all have some uh, 
time on your hands to fly down to New Mexico, mm, you can, uh, yeah, <laughs> got to do it and uh, attend this panel with Johnny. And I know Jack's got a few panels up her sleeve as well, Podcasting 101. And uh, yeah, so I wanted to thank both of you for joining us today on Radio Geekly. I wish we can have another whole hour to talk more with you both. Um, but I just wanted to say thanks again. And uh, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Well, we're everywhere. <laughs> yes. uh, I, maybe I should be more specific. Where can we find a tribe called Geek? At a tribe called Geek dot com. Perfect. Uh, also on, on Facebook at a tribe called Geek. Uh, my Twitter handle is Jack the Pima. Uh, Johnny, you want to share your Twitter handle? Sure do. Uh, my, you can find me on Twitter at Johnny J. <laughs> Awesome. And I, and also, like, if you're looking for a Tribe Called Geek on Twitter um, because of the character limit on the name, <laughs> um, it would just be at Tribe Called Geek. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, thank you both for calling in and talking with us here on Radio Geekly. Yes, thank you. Oh, thank but thank you. you for having us. Awesome. And as we're closing down, I wanted to bring um, just a little insight on some uh, events happening in the city. But first, I thought this was really, really great. And like I said, I wish we had a whole another hour. Um, we might have some bonus segments posted in the future, uh, links to their podcast for A Tribe Called Geek and some other uh, folks that are doing amazing work um, Within in indigenerity, as they say, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, when you're you asked that first question at the opening of our show today of just like ha what has changed or has things changed, you know, and I really liked the interview with uh, Megan Richard Shaw because she brought up, you know, the social media aspect mm. of the last like 10 years when I was listening, I was like, oh yeah, that's what really changed. Yeah. It was like mm -hmm. you all of a sudden had a space where geeks of different backgrounds could have a platform to actually speak because right. geek narratives have been so controlled by white supremacy mm -hmm. that even, you know, if you were making your independent comic book, it wasn't getting out into your community, mm -hmm. but now you can create the independent stuff. And how is everybody seeing that? It's like, it's mm -hmm. all through social media where you can say like, we don't have to be part of the mainstream narrative. We can even just totally bypass that. Yeah. Let's have our own community. Let's just talk to each other. Cause that's where it's powerful. Mm -hmm. And like, this is something I've, I found really amazing about the indigenous comic con is that they're non-apologetic you know yeah. they say this is for us mm -hmm. and like we are creating this because there wasn't space like, and by like, us yeah and they yeah. as a result are just like they're just growing so fast mm -hmm. and um the creativity you see coming out of that it's like oh it's not like it's coming out of that that con but that all these people who were creating separately finally got to come together because of social media so mm -hmm. yay social media for creating communities yes. that were otherwise disparate you know yeah and uh if you want to find information about the con you can go to indigenous comic con.com uh, more information about Megan and the Natives in America organization, you can go to nativesinamerica.com. And again, a tribe called geek.com for all of that uh, with Johnny and Jack. Um, just a couple more uh, events that I wanted to highlight before we close today. On November 11th, Frankenstein's comic book swap is happening again from noon to six at the East Portland Eagle Lodge. One of our collective members,
members. Kyle often frequents that event, and so I'm sure he will be <laughs> collecting more things to add to his bookshelf or his desk. Um, more information on that is at Frankenstein's Comic Book Swap dot com slash the dash swap. I wish they had websites with shorter names, but there it is. Um, on November 15th from 6 to 9 p.m., Nerd Camp is hosting another wine tasting and speed friending of event at the Pairings Portland Wine Shop. And if you go to Facebook.com and search for Nerd Camp, the event page will pop right up. Because again, Facebook.com has a lot of numbers and letters after Facebook events. <laughs> and it's really long to say. So just search for that. Uh, Sarah Goldie uh, was on the show last month talking Trek with us. And or two months ago, I don't remember what month is it right now. I think it was two months. I don't two know months ago. Oh my God word! Flown by. Wow. So yeah, she was on Talking Trek with us, and she is hosting that Nerd Camp event. And finally, November seventeenth through the nineteenth, Oricon thirty nine is happening at the Red Lion Jansen Beach Hotel. Information can be found at three nine dot oricon dot org. So thanks again to everyone for tuning in to a Radio Geekly. Next month is going to be a special treat. I'm just going to leave it there, not say what's going to happen. <laughs> Can we just all express our excitement about it? Yeah. we all know it's going to happen. Like, yeah. Turn it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jazz hands. <laughs> Jazz yeah, hands. I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks again for tuning in here to your community radio station, KBOO Portland. Stay tuned at noon for Moving On, and we will catch you all next month. Take care. Mm-hmm.